We're talking about finances. We're kicking off or the, really going to wrap up our, our Unstrapped Sermon Series. We'll post the video. Corey and Chris uh, did some great work, and I'm, I'm encouraged by it. Um, but I feel like there's just something that we need to really kind of uh, address and get to really before we get to the heart of what we want uh, to deal with uh, today. And that is this, like what we just sang about is like the, the, the premier thing that we have to worry about, right? Um, and so I want to go ahead, go ahead and turn the lights on um, and, and get started. I want to read Matthew 16, and we're actually going to launch from there. We're going to be talking about the power of biblical finances, um, but I want, to, I want to address it from this standpoint, because I think a lot of people can sit back and, and say, hey, I want, I want to honor God in my finances, but I want you to know this that you're never going to reap the blessings that God has for you if you aren't first spiritually where you're supposed to be at. And what I mean by that is this. In in Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to read verse 24 uh, through verse 26. It says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's kind of really what we just sang about, right? that we trust Jesus in all things. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. And then verse 26, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? See, here's, here's the reality when it comes to it. A lot of us want to look at finances and, and, and things like that, and we, we think that if I just operate my finances right, that everything will be okay, when the reality is sometimes we're willing to, 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 to kind of settle for second best. We're willing to, to sit back and, 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 and really forfeit our spiritual lives for the sake of gaining earthly things. And what we see in Scripture, I believe, is this, that when we like when we build our lives upon Jesus in every avenue and in every fashion, we walk in obedience with what God has done, then the blessings come. Then, then the, the financial blessings, and please hear me out when I say this because there's a lot of health and wealth gospel. There's a lot of this prosperity, um, I'm going to call it junk or trash, that if you just operate in this mentality that you're going to be rich, when I don't believe that that's whatever, what, what God intended. Right? So when we talk about finances, like I'm not up here telling you that if you give to the church that you're going to be wealthy. Sorry, it's just not going to happen. Right? There was a widow with one talent and she gave everything she had. It didn't all of a sudden make her wealthy. She didn't walk out with a million talents. Right? She was faithful with what God had given her. And I, I want you to know that I think that our finances, in reality, just paint a picture of what's going on in our heart. I mean, it really is a, 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 an x-ray into your soul. My finances reflect what's going on in my heart. And so, listen, I, I, I stand up here to tell you this because I, I think it's important for us to think what, it, what, what is going on here in Matthew chapter 16, right? What good will it be if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Your spiritual state... Your eternal state with Jesus Christ is of utmost importance to us as a church first. Like, I would sit back and tell you that that's the primary thing in all things. So as we jump into this, last week we did six principles. This week we're doing seven. Last week we dealt with things like God is the owner, right? 
that I'm to be a worker. I am, I am to be a person who, who takes part in a principle of production. That number three, we said, was stewardship, right? I need to be a good steward of what God has given to me. So if God gives you one talent, then I need to be a good steward with one talent. If God gives you 10 talents, I'm a good steward with the 10 talents, right? This isn't about how much money you do make or how much money you don't make. It's about being obedient with what God has blessed you with, all right? So we, we talked about that. We talked about the uh, making or, or the principle of planning. We talked about the principle of, 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 of being a person who lives by a budget, right? That I have to plan for the future. And this week, we're going to jump in. I've got four principles we're going to jump in. But I want you to see or hear this out from a perspective that I believe is for your benefit, right? You guys realize that money will not make you happy. Money just makes you more of what you already are. If you're miserable, you're just more miserable. If you're grouchy, you're just more grouchy. If you're greedy, you're more greedy. If you're content, you're more content. And what I find like that is this, that money just makes me more of what I already am. More and more and more money doesn't mean that all of a sudden your life is going to change. As a matter of fact, money magnifies what you are in reality. That's why I said if you're, if you're a jerk already, money's just going to make you a, a rich jerk, right? Like, if you can't treat people with respect, you're just a person who's going to be a rich, disrespectful person. Money just seems to magnify the problems oftentimes in our lives. So that's what we have to begin to, to kind of understand. And so our attitude toward money, remember, I said this earlier just a little bit different way, reflects the nature of our heart, and it really reveals whose we are. So if money owes you or owns you, what oftentimes comes across is that I'm a jerk. I'm disrespectful. I'm rude. I'm, you know, those are the types of things that happen. And as we jump into this this uh, sermon today, I want you to know this. Did you realize there are 2,500 scriptures throughout the Bible on money and possessions? 2,500, right? Dave Ramsey said it this way. He said, you could read the book of Proverbs and really in all actuality walk away with a master's in biblical finance. Like just read Proverbs and learn to operate your checkbook and learn to operate your finances based upon what Proverbs says, right? There is so much wisdom that goes on in there. And, and, and here's what's crazy, right? In order to be successful in your financial decisions, you need to have certain characteristic. And what I call that characteristic is discipline. And what I'd even say is this, biblical discipline, that I learned to operate based upon what scripture tells me. Listen to Proverbs chapter 12. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Now, that's not my word, so I didn't call you stupid, but the Bible did, right? If you don't like discipline, if you don't want to build upon the truth of God's word the, from the financial standpoint, what it says is you're being dumb, right? And what we don't want to do is to be dumb with what God gave us. Proverbs chapter 13, whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. So please hear me out. Again, what I said is this. This isn't about how much money you do or don't make. This isn't a rich versus poor. This is how do I operate in a biblical perspective and be a good steward of what God has given me. And so today's sermon title is this idea of the power of biblical finances. 
right? I believe that there is great power with what God wants to do through you and in you, through me and in me as a result of his teaching and me aligning my life with the truth of his word. Now, here's what I found in reality takes place in most of our lives, right? I think there are three things that we can learn or, or three things that we have to understand um, to know or to build our life upon. A lot of people will say, well, I'd I don't know how to manage money because I was never taught, right? So here are the three viewpoints basically on how we deal with teaching on finances from a biblical perspective. Here's the first one I would say. A lot of people will say this. I have an ignorance of God's method of handling my money, my resources, right? So this is number one. There's an ignorance of God. So you may say, well, I don't know how to operate money because I was never taught. So there's this ignorance of God's method of handling your resources, your finances. How many of you would say, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you were to really look back would say, nobody really ever taught me how to be a biblically wise steward, right? I look at it and I think about how blessed I was. My parents taught us this. My grandparents talked about this. This was common knowledge. To me, it was, it just, it, like, I thought everybody knew this. And what I realize is the more I'm around people, the more I realize how much ignorance there is on God's method of being biblically wise with my money. So there's an ignorance there that comes about. Number two, there really is, I know God's teaching on money, but I don't like it, so I don't want to follow it. There's arrogance. So we got ignorance. The second one is, I know God's teaching, but I don't care. And let me tell you that, if you're a believer and you don't want to follow that, I just want you to know, we'll just jump back up to Proverbs chapter 12, right? Whoever hates correction is stupid. Now, I'm not the one to sit back and go, man, you're being stupid. But I mean, if the shoe fits, you kind of painted yourself into that corner. So there's ignorance, there's arrogance. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm not going to follow it. And then there's just the reality of poor planning, right? Poor planning that leads to financial catastrophe. In other words, we know, but we didn't take the proper steps to put into practice what God has called me to do. I would even say it like this. Like we can look at that through finances, but we can also look at it through conflict. If I handled conflict in my relationships the way the Bible lays it out, the reality is that most of the times I'm going to be able to work through conflict, maintain a relationship, and even work towards reconciliation rather than cutting the head off the snake, burning the bridges and saying, fine, that's it, I'm done, I don't care. When we build our lives upon the truth of God's word, then we walk in success. Doesn't mean wealth, just success with what God has. Did you know that financial freedom is actually 20% knowledge and 80% behavior? I believe the Bible gives us the knowledge. Now you and I have to put into practice exactly what God has called us to do. So the point is going to be getting you the knowledge. The 80% part is on whose part? It's on yours. It's on mine. That I take what God teaches and I begin to put it into practice. I have to begin to implement the lifestyle that he calls me to do so that, listen, so that I can walk in the obedience that God has called me to. Because listen, since my money is God's money, every financial decision I make is spiritual. The money you have is the resource that God has given you. And you are called to be a steward of what he has provided. So 
Here's the big picture. Here's the big idea. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this. I will live in the area of God's blessing when I give, save, and live. I will live in the area of God's blessing when I give, save, and live. Now, you're going to say, all right, great. I know where we're going. Yes, you should know where we're going because there is a word in there that we're going to go to first. So here's the principle number seven. Last week I gave you six. Here's principle number seven. It's called the principle of firsts. Everywhere throughout Scripture, including the New Testament, I've had people argue with me over and over and over again. The New Testament doesn't call for a tithe at all. No, you're right. It calls for more. And it's funny when people who are so anti-tithe come and try and argue with me on that aspect. You know, the one thing I see all throughout Scripture is Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus didn't come to do away with the things. He said, I came to fulfill it for you, but he also raises the standard, right? And so when he raises the standard, the Old Testament says, you know, don't commit adultery. And Jesus says, well, if you looked at a woman with lustful eyes, what have you done? Committed adultery. And it says, do not murder. And Jesus says, well, you know, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. So Jesus always raises the standards, and I believe he does the same thing with us. Listen, God's chief competition for your life is always going to be money. And I didn't say your money, because I want to go back to principle number one, which is the principle of ownership. It's whose? God's, right? So if I get down to that point, I have to understand that God's chief competition for your life is money. Do I put my trust in God or do I continue to put my trust in money? Listen, we know what it says on the dollar bill, right? What's it say? In God we trust. But yet, isn't it so oftentimes really the opposite because we really trust in what? (laughs) It's like, I don't trust in God. I trust in the almighty dollar. And when the dollar's doing well and my bank account's doing well and my retirement account's doing well, then things are going good, then I'm going to trust God. But guess what? When it gets tough and the the times get tough and and when it's all there, I'm not sure if I can do that. See, I, I want us to understand this idea that you and I are not to be ruled or mastered by our stuff, which includes our money. And so we're going to be jumping throughout the text, throughout Scripture today, and we're going to look at this. But I want us to understand the principle of fruits. Giving is obedience. To not give is disobedience. Now, like I said, I've I've played this out over and over and over again, and I don't see anywhere in Scripture where God all of a sudden says, okay, everything else has a higher standard, but giving, now we're going to go drop down here. See, the reality of what takes place here is this. Most people want to argue that point because they want to go, see, God doesn't want my money. At which point I'd say, yeah, true, because Scripture is very clear. God loves a cheerful giver, right? God wants your heart first. But I believe that money oftentimes has our heart, and, and we're, and we're going to jump into more of that later on as we get into it. But listen, godly principles, these are godly principles we built. They're not laws, In other words, we don't have the Ten Commandments of financial giving, right, or financial statements. These are godly principles, and he may not punish you. You may say, I'm not going to give. Okay, he may not punish you, but I want you to know this, that those who, who fail to give simply will not receive the blessings or his blessings in your areas of finance. 
I don't believe God will ever pour out his blessings upon you when you choose to be disobedient with what he's got, right? Now, I've heard the argument before. Well, what about all those people who don't tithe and don't go to church and aren't believers? What was that statement at the end? Not believers. When I am a believer and I've put my faith and trust in Christ, then my goal or my desire or God's desire for me is I walk in obedience in all things, in all areas, which include my finances. So as I unpack this principle of first, we always say it this way. I grew up this way. I talked about earlier, you know, why, why people say they don't handle their finances is usually because there's an ignorance of God's method, right? This is what I was taught with. 10%. The first 10% goes where? The church. The church. Off the top, 10% goes to the church. And I have to understand that when I take this in, then I give faithfully as a result of what God has called me to do. Listen to Genesis chapter 14. Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth before the law. So this is prior to the law even existing. So tithing is not solely built upon the law. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Malachi chapter 3, as a matter of fact, you can flip over there. It'll be on your screen as well. Is one of the verses in the Old Testament that we see that oftentimes kind of lays this out. But listen to what he says, starting in verse 8. Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? This is the prophet Malachi talking to the people of Israel about finances. And they said, you rob me. And the people ask, how do we rob you? Right? Like, if you can picture it to a certain extent, how do we rob you? And listen to what he says. In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse and the whole nation of you because you are robbing me. And then he says in verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Here's the idea of the principle of firsts. And I want you to understand, because the statement that I gave you at the start, I will live in the area of God's blessing. I believe wholeheartedly that God has areas of blessing when we walk in obedience. If we want to have blessings in our life, blessings in our marriage, then I walk in obedience and that places me in the area of God's blessing. When I walk in disobedience, God never blessed the people in the past. God doesn't go, oh, disobedience. All right, let me pour out a blessing upon you. Like, how many of you would do that with your kids? Oh, you broke the rules. You stayed out past curfew. Oh, guess what? I'll extend it till 2 a.m. now. Nobody ever did that. And yet that's oftentimes how we operate with our finances, right? Like, God, you tell us to do this, but guess what? I'm going to stay over here because, you know, this, this is mine. And again, how your heart looks at money shows whose you are or who owns you. And your money oftentimes owns you if you stand in that circumstance or in that position, and so he lays this out, and he, he lets us know. And so listen, this whole idea of the first 10% to me is the common knowledge, biblical basis of what goes on. And listen, we can argue, like people have wanted to argue with me for years, but I want to bring up one other text just so you can see what goes on. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 says this, "'Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You are hypocrites.'" 
You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And he says this, you should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. Do you hear what God, what Jesus just did to the Pharisees? The ones who would have followed the law, the ones who said, hey, we're going to be about the tithe. He tells him, yeah, you need to be about the tithe, but you don't need to be about the tithe and not practice the things that I was talking about, the justice and the mercy that goes on. So Jesus is laying this out. That, listen, the standard doesn't change. I didn't say don't tithe at all. A matter of fact, as we look at Malachi chapter 3, I want you to know this. When he talks about bringing in the tithe to the storehouse, that's the idea of bringing it to the local church. And I've known people who say, you know, well, you know what? I support this ministry and that ministry and that ministry, and I really don't give to my church. Great. I don't think that's biblical. Because the reality that takes place in Scripture is what you just said is you're generous, but you're not following biblical, the biblical model of tithing. I believe that anything above and beyond a 10% is a generosity offering, which is what we're going to look at here in just a little bit. So if I want to be generous, like when my wife has run for World Vision, we don't take our money from the church and go, hey, we're going to put it all toward World Vision. World Vision does some great things, but we still tithe. I'm going to tell you, and I've got some pastor buddies who are like, well, my church can't pay me much, so we don't tithe. And I'm like, because no matter how much I make, I still feel like it's a biblical model that I tithe what I have. Remember, one talent, 10 talents, doesn't matter. So the principle of first plays out. And listen, here's what I said. When I talked about this idea of living in the area of God's blessing, what he says, when he says, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse, test me in this. God's saying, listen, if you don't trust me with 10, you're never going to trust me with more than 10. And here's what I will always tell everybody. God does more with your 90%. When you're faithful with 10, he'll turn your 90 into more than 100. I can guarantee you that. I get just like, I'm just going to tell you from personal experience, and we, we talked about this. Our first year of marriage, we made $18,000. We paid $450 a month in rent, right? I'm, I'm going to school. She's going to school and paid off $10,000 in student loans. Like we were at the end of the year crunching our numbers. And I'm like, this don't make sense. We still tithe. I remember paying our 10% tithes, we were 10% savings because we were paying off school debt and living on 80. And I remember coming to the end of the month and going, we ain't got no money. And all of a sudden, something would show up in the mail. Her aunt, somebody else would be like, hey, we were praying for you. We wanted to give you this. And you're like, what? Like, okay. And it was never, it was never like, oh, hey, we gave you a thousand bucks. It was like, hey, here's $10. Go get a meal on me. Listen, God always says he will provide for your needs according to his riches in glory. I want you to notice that statement there. Needs, not wants. So we go back to last week and we talk about planning. I have to identify what's a need and what's a want. What's a have to have it and what's a I want it. Because that's what separates it out. Listen, he says this 
point blank, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of blessing and pour out, or of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. When I take part in this principle of firsts, I place myself in the area of position of God's blessing so that he could pour out the blessing that he's just talking about. So much blessing so that he says, you're not even going to have enough to store it. That's how I operate. So when I talk about this idea, it's this idea of living, giving, saving, living, giving freedom from my stuff, saving financial freedom from others, living financial freedom so I'm capable to live. Not capable to be rich, but to operate under those things. So keep that in mind, the principle of first. That's the most important thing. I believe wholeheartedly that tithing or giving back to God, 10% is biblical, and if we don't, we're disobedient. So if you want to walk in an area of blessing where God wants to bless you, that God's going to do what we call the power of biblical finances, he's going to multiply what he does, then I have to be faithful with the first 10%. And I've always heard people say this, so do I tithe on the gross or the net? Well, what do you want to be blessed on? I'm just going to kind of throw it out there. I mean... You know, I've always had people say, I remember when my dad, when I asked my dad, gross or net? He's like, really? Talking about a couple bucks? Because, I mean, I was 16, not making a lot of money, you know? But it's like, so I'm going to give $6 or $5.60? Really? You're arguing over 40 cents? And my dad was always like, round up. Always round up. Well, it's only a penny, Dad. We'll round up 99 cents. What? You know, as a teenager, like, I could do a lot more with that 99 cents, you know? But it starts with the little things, right? If you're faithful with the small things, he will what? And so I teach this in a very specific way. Number two, or, or number eight, principle number eight. There's a principle of first, uh, first is, is principle number seven. Principle number eight is the principle of saving and investing. That's another 10%. I give 10%, I save 10%. I'm not joking when I tell you this. It blows me away as you start to research how many people have no saving and no plan for retirement. I can't remember the exact numbers. I told you last week that there was a thing on CBS and I think they said something about like 70% of boomers who are at retirement age have nothing saved for retirement. Nothing. You know what that tells me? Biblical principles weren't put into plan or into place. And when I don't operate with a biblical principle, then I'm going to, listen, I'm going to experience the poverty that God says is bound to happen when I don't operate from a wise place. So this principle of saving and investing, 10% for us comes, goes to tithe. The next 10% goes to savings, Right? And, and listen, I'm going to tell you this because we live on less than 80%. We save way more than that because you should have retirement savings and you should have emergency savings. This is always played out. In other words, an emergency. Oh no, my car just had a massive problem. And that massive problem is going to cost me $1,000. Now, in America world today, they go $1,000, or I can go take out a loan and buy a new car. I'll go take out a loan and buy a new car. 
Now you just went down the road of being stupid again. You didn't have $1,000 to fix your car, but you're going to take on a loan that's going to charge you $450 to $500 a month to pay off a new car. Brilliant. In the meantime, your financial advisor, if you had one, would be like, what are you doing? Right? And your financial advisor, if you don't have one, can be right here. I can learn to make wise biblical decisions by reading Proverbs alone. Matter of fact, today is the 19th. Go read Proverbs 19. Tomorrow's the 20th. Read Proverbs 20. The next day is going to be the 21st. Read Proverbs 21. Guess what? You're going to find out real quick that Proverbs says a lot about money. And Proverbs talks about working hard. Proverbs talks about equal pay for equal work, right? Proverbs talks about, hey, you got to work hard. Proverbs lays all of these things out. But this principle of savings, as a matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 says this, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones, right? So the Bible just called you stupid if you don't tithe, and now it's calling you lazy if you don't plan to save. I didn't say it, so you can take it up with God on that part, okay? But he says, take a lesson from the ants, learn from their ways, and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. I mean, think about that. For some of us, we may sit back and go, well, I have to have my boss tell me what to do. Okay, that's fine. But listen, your boss is not going to tell you how to operate your finances in the right way unless your boss is Jesus. It says that they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. Here's what that plays out. When things are going well and I'm working hard and I'm reaping the benefits, I save money because guess what? The winter's coming. And when the winter comes, there's no grain. There's no support. There's no sustenance. Matter of fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 41 and you want to learn about the process of saving and investing, in Genesis chapter 41, we meet this guy named, anybody know? Joseph. And Joseph becomes basically second in charge of all of Egypt. And Joseph interprets the dream of the Pharaoh that's going on. And Joseph realizes, guess what? There's going to be seven years of plenty Seven years of provision, seven years of God pouring out his blessing upon the nation, and then there's going to be seven years of what? Famine. Guess what that should teach you? There are going to be times to reap and, and harvest because things are going well, and there are going to be times where, guess what? It's going to get tough. And right now, I'll even say it from this standpoint, in America, it's tough. I would say around the world, it's tough. We're at a position right now where we have more people needing more things with less money because we haven't been smart and our government leads the way with stupidity and laziness. That's just my political speech. So anyways, <laughs> the principle of saving and investing is important because you and I are always going to have times of ebb and flow. We're going to have times of prosperous benefits, and we're going to have times where, guess what? Everything went to pot. You ever had those things where if it's not one thing, it's another? I was just talking uh, last night to one of the guys that, that I was playing softball with, and I said, man, I remember the summer I broke my foot, right? So we have all the medical expenses for breaking my foot, 10 weeks on crutches. Then Peyton broke her arm, 
right? So now we got all these medical bills that come up on, and I mean, like trip to the emergency room, emergency setting, possible surgery, cast. I mean, I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh. And then we had, Ethan had this massive poison ivy breakout, went back to the emergency room and we're getting all, it's like, oh my gosh. And trust me, it hurts. Because you're like, I saved all that money and now it's gone. But what would have happened if we didn't save? When that storm hit of stupidity, because like I jumped off a ladder trying because I didn't want to fall, so I just jumped, um, right? When the storm of stupidity hits, right? And you go, hey, I just broke my foot. You what? I think I need to go to the doctor. <laughs> it's okay. Because guess what? I got it covered. Because the Lord has provided. And in the midst of, listen, in the midst of high times, where I've been working hard, I set back money so that, hey, when the storms hit, I am prepared. Because that's exactly what happened. Jo- Joseph saves and saves and saves. And then here's what happens. The, 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 the drought and everything hits. And not only do the Egyptians come and Joseph provides, but it says the Israelites came to the point where Joseph was able to reestablish his relationship with his brothers and his father as a result of being a wise steward with what God had placed him in charge of. Listen, this is the principle of saving and investing, and it's important. You have to live on less than 80%. I'm telling you that. You need to prepare for the future. And I've heard people say, well, it's not right to prepare for retirement. Baloney. Show me in the Bible where it doesn't say that. Bible doesn't say anything about that. Well, I'm just going to live off the government. Really? Is that a biblical principle? Right? Like, I'm just going to tell you right now, as, as I'm, I'm 48, I'll be 48 next week. And I'm not planning on Social Security. Our government's too dumb to think it's going to last that long. And if you're trusting our government, and I, I don't know, I got nothing for you on that. So, um, like, it, it's just not going to happen. So when we save, we save ourselves for emergency situations that will hopefully protect us from the calamity that can happen. All of you have been in that situation, right? Car breaks down, medical problems, refrigerator quit working. And you and I know a refrigerator is not like they used to be, right? You're not buying a refrigerator and it's going to last 25 or 30 years. Or a TV even in today's, and that's not even a need, but I mean... Drop $500, $600, the TVs aren't going to last. You're not taking it to a TV person to get it fixed because they don't make parts for them anymore. So it's the principle of saving and investing. Principle number nine is the principle of what I call generational wisdom slash wealth. The Bible is very clear that you and I are responsible to have an inheritance for our kids. Did you know that? A wise steward leaves an inheritance for their children. Now, again... It may not be a lot. Some of your best inheritance may be teaching your kids how to live from a biblical perspective with finances. But it's the principle of generational wisdom and wealth. Teaching our kids how to use money in a biblical way teaches them obedience to God and leads to blessings in their life as well. I don't know how many parents I've heard say, man, I wish my kids would quit mooching off me. Well, did you teach your kids biblical principles? Have you showed them how to operate money 
from a biblical perspective? Did you train them on the 10, 10, 80? And I'm even going to go 10, 20, 70? You have to train your kids how to do this. Listen, Proverbs lays this out again, very specific. Proverbs 22, train a child in the way they should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And then here's the next verse. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Train your children how to operate finances from a biblical perspective so that they're not caught in the lies of what all of the financial people want to teach you. Like, listen, I like Dave Ramsey, and I don't agree with Dave Ramsey on everything, but I was watching a lot of videos this week, and people were like, Dave Ramsey's stupid because he tells people not to be in debt, and you can use debt to, to, to create generational wealth. Listen, maybe if you have discipline but I think debt is dumb oftentimes because what I've learned, like I tell everybody this, and, and, and I'm, I'm big on, on, on knowing how you're disciplined. My wife and I use one credit card, and we put everything on that sucker. But guess what? At the end of the month, because of the way we budget, guess what gets paid off every month? Matter of fact, I called up Discover one time and I threatened them because they charged me a late fee because they said they didn't get it. And I'm like, look, I'm showing you got it to this date and you're charging me the late fee. And the guy's like, sorry, we're not going to waive the late fee. And I said, I'm going to cancel my card. I've been with you for 20 years. You don't remove this late fee. I'm done. And he goes, Mr. Grout, don't take this wrong, but we would rather have you cancel. Well, now you just made me dig in deeper. I'm like, nope, I'm taking more money from you. So I didn't cancel my card. He did remove the late fee. And guess what every month I get? I get my money back. Now, you have to know the principles of the way credit cards work because Discover ain't paying that. You are paying my points. Because every time you decide not to pay off your credit card and you pay the, 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 the bare minimum, your interest that you're racking up on you is buying me stuff. That to me is a wise steward. If you're a person who has credit card debt and you're not paying it off at the end of the month, let me tell you something. Thank you, but stop being stupid. Do you get that picture? Because the only people who get hurt with the credit card industry are in reality, for those of you who don't know, number one, the store that you're buying stuff from, because 3% of what you just bought goes to discover from them. That's why places go, hey, we're going to charge a little bit higher because we know they're going to put it on credit. And the banks, meantime, have all gone to credit. And all of these things that go online have gone to credit. And so we end up operating from a credit perspective. And if you don't pay it off, you're buying me stuff. Thank you. Again, a second time. So I want you to know this. My wife and I know this. And we also have the discipline enough to say... We're paying it off at the end of every month. You have to know what you're disciplined with. If you're not disciplined enough to pay off that credit card, if you don't have the biblical, or if you don't even have the, the discipline to maintain a proper budget and a plan so that you know you're not going over, guess what? You need to just cut credit cards up and put them away. Get a debit card, make that money withdrawal from your bank, and that's how you operate. 
Because if you don't have the discipline, you're not going to walk successfully. So Dave Ramsey would say, cut up all your credit cards and do away with them. I tend to venture a little bit different way because I take advantage of it. But I'm not stupid. I pay it off every month. So it's the principle of generational wealth and wisdom. And please hear me out when I say this. If you are owned by your money or if you are owned by your resources, your kids will be owned by their money and your kids will be owned by their resources. You have to teach your kids how to operate from a financial perspective that is built upon biblical truth. And number 10 is the principle of generosity. The principle of generosity. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Matthew chapter, or sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And it says in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So here's what he's painting the picture of. There's this picture of generosity that takes place that those who are rich doesn't necessarily mean that we have a ton of money, but those who are rich in their current standing or position can be put into a position of generosity. Because listen to what he says in verse 18. Command them to, be, or to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Listen, I believe that when I live on what I call a 10, 20, 70 principle that I can save for emergency funds, I'm saving for my retirement, I am investing my money in God first, saving for retirement, saving for emergency, I live on the 70% that I can operate in a very generous attitude. That's why when people are in need within the body of Christ, I can give above and beyond. When we give to Annie Armstrong Easter offering, I can give above and beyond my tithe. When I give to Lottie Moon, I can give above and beyond. When I support a missionary overseas, like my wife and I support a current gentleman and his family right now who are serving over uh, in, a, in a closed location, we serve and we give to them above and beyond our tithe out of the generosity that God has given because we feel like we are rich. I can sit back and tell you that we are. I guarantee you we're not in the top 10% in the United States. Guarantee on total income. But you know what I've found every time? That God has provided for all of our needs in every circumstance and every situation. That storms hit. And guess what? When storms hit, and I've operated under the biblical perspective that it's just a matter of time because you're going to have bountiful harvest and you're going to have droughts and, and, and chaos, that when storms hit, I have an emergency fund set aside so that we're prepared to be very good stewards with what God has, never stopping my tithing, never stopping giving that 10% to God. And so when I said that from the beginning, and I hope you hear me out very clear, that I will live in the area of God's blessing when I give when I save, and when I live. Listen, I, I, I don't know how to tell you this other than to say this. If you took 70% of your income and you broke it down, you have to identify what you need and what you want. It blows my mind with the amount of people who are house poor or even car poor. Your house should never exceed more than 30% of your income. Never. That's why it drove me nuts when we went looking for a house and our realtor's like, ah, here's a $200,000 house. I'm like, my budget's 140. Did you listen to me at all? Like you're about to be fired. Donald Trump you. 
right? Like you're fired. Like just doesn't listen. And then when we watch the HGTV shows and these people show up and they're like, well, it's only $200,000 above our budget. Like $200,000. You got an extra, I don't know, $1,000 a month just to pour into a mortgage? If you live on a budget, you have to operate under a budget. House should never exceed more than $30,000. A car is a necessary evil that should be used to make you money, not cost you money. Every time you buy a brand new car, guess who wins? The bank or the car dealership who might be putting it up. Now, I said it last week. The first, when I first got to driving a car in the, in the 90s, your typical car loan was four years. And four years, that was new. It used to be three. It was 36 months. Then it became 48 months. Then it became 60 months. Then it became 72 months. And now you got these 10-year car mortgages. And I'm like, really? Your car is used to get you to and from work. And here's what's crazy. You buy that car. Let's even just throw this out. You want to go buy a brand new pickup. 72000 to $100,000, $100,000. Like $100,000 back when I was growing up, I could buy a Porsche 911 Turbo. I am old. <laughs> right? But your car is a necessary evil. If I have a $100,000 car and I get in a car wreck and I owe more than now what it's worth, because I just got in a car wreck. And the car wreck was your fault, and you owe more than what it's worth. Who's in trouble? The value of the car has gone down. Now, I know what insurance does nowadays, right? Well, the insurance will say, well, we'll, we'll new car replacement value, right? Okay, you ever dealt with an insurance company? If you haven't, I just want you to know, they don't care about you, they care about the bottom dollar. Like, no matter what, like that happened at the church. 13 years of paying in on insurance, and we go to replace our roof, and they're like, no, we don't cover that. No, you're going to recover it, because I have paid, our church has paid for the last 13 years and never made a claim. Guess who still ended up paying? We did. I don't know if you knew that. We did. We had to take out a loan, because the insurance like, yeah, we're not going to cover that. Insurance don't care about us. They'll always tell you they do. They don't care about you. They care about their bottom dollar because they're a profit-making industry. So listen to me when I say this. When I operate in a biblical perspective with give, save, live, I don't have to be fretting over the fact that insurance isn't going to cover all this stuff. Yes, you want you need insurance, right? Not, not up here telling you don't, don't buy insurance. Pastor said don't buy insurance. Nope not listening to me, okay? I am ready and willing and able to walk through most of the circumstances in life when I operate from this perspective and be placed in a position of blessing because I've been faithful and obedient to what God has called me to do. Don't live beyond your means. Live within your means. Don't live in disobedience. Walk in obedience and when you do this, listen, regardless of you having 10 talents 
and making a million dollars a year or one talent and only making $30,000 a year. God always said that when you're faithful with the talent you give and you don't hide it and bury it, he will multiply it. That's called, God, that's called God's math. That's called the principle of multiplication with biblical finances. That God does more when we give 10%. God does more with our 90 than you and I can ever do with our 100. And please hear me out when I say this. This all starts based upon a relationship with Jesus first. It has to stem from that. Because what would it profit a man to gain the whole world? You can operate with a biblical perspective in finances. In every circumstance and situation, operate from that. And gain the whole world. And yet not have a saving faith in a relationship with Jesus Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection, his death on the cross for our sins, for his burial, that we would experience life and life more abundantly in his resurrection. I could gain the whole world in operating from biblical principle perspective and forfeit my soul. And please hear me out when I close with this. First Timothy again says this. Command them to be good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You and I know, based upon what Scripture tells us, is this, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? That the, 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 the thief is going to take those very things. But listen, when we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal, we experience the blessing and the benefit that God has. So hear me out when I say this. Please begin to put it in practice. As a matter of fact, I'll even tell you there's a book out there on our cart if you want to grab it, you can grab it. We were asking $10 for it. If you don't have the finances, we will give it to you. It's called I Was Broke, Now I'm Not. And it's a book on how to operate, how to budget, how to function from a biblical perspective so that you can be a blessing and be in a position of blessing every day. And so please hear me out. I just told you that earlier. Operating is based upon a 20% knowledge, but 80% behavior. Some of you today need to walk out these doors. You need to go home. You need to grab a tablet and you need to sit down and list the things you need to do. We need to give 10%. We need to save 20% and we need to live off 70. And I'm guaranteeing you when you start to sit down, you'll begin to look and go, oh my gosh, look at how much money we waste. Because what you'll find out is things like this. I don't have enough money for Sirius XM or Hulu or cable or all of these things. I have turned those into a priority when my priority needs to be this for my family. That we operate and live on a budget. Maybe some of you are going to have to go home and go, oh my gosh, we're house poor. There's two ways to get out of house poor. Move or get another job. And for some of you, maybe, maybe that's the answer. You need to pick up another job. You have to work two jobs because of the financial decisions you made. Yeah, that's up to you. 
But what I'm telling you is when you live within the means that the Bible says, then you walk in the areas of blessing that God wants you to be in. And that's the only way you're going to experience it is when I walk in obedience. And I do want to say this because Corey, Corey's not here today, but we have a number of individuals in our church that I guarantee I could reach out to and say, hey, would you be willing to sit down with this person or this couple to help them out? We want you to know that. That's the point of this. You may say, I was never taught this stuff. And what you're talking to me about is like, I, I get it, but it's still, it's going over my head. Listen, we got people here who operate and do this day in and day out that can walk you through some very simple steps to begin to make wise biblical decisions so that you can walk in the area of blessing that God wants for you. Can I tell you something? Biblical financial wisdom and poverty don't necessarily go hand in hand. Poverty usually becomes an issue because we don't operate with biblical financial wisdom. And I don't care what you say. We talk about the American dream. But if you don't operate right in the American dream, the American dream is set up to make you poor. Because they tell you things like this. Have more debt. You build more credit. You're a lot more successful. When the reality is, debt just makes you slave to the lender. Poverty can be worked out of. doesn't mean you're going to be rich. Poverty can be worked out of when I follow the principles that God lays out before us. But it's going to take work. It's going to take, listen, commitment and dedication. And here's that big word that I went back to earlier, discipline. I believe that teaching on money is taught to my kids, and I can teach my kids poverty. Because when I tell my kids, there's no other way, this is the way you got to do it, and they just go and operate that, and the next thing you know, they got $10,000 in credit card debt, and they got a car loan and things, they're in trouble. That's why I talked about that generational wisdom. So Father, we pray today that we would be good stewards that, God, we would walk in obedience, that we can understand what that principle of 10, 20, 70 is, that, God, we can, we can begin to put the checks and balances in place so we can say this is a need and this is a want. And as we do that, God, that you would place us in that position where we would say, God, we hold everything that we have with open arms, knowing that you want to use it because you're the owner and that you have just made us stewards over what we have. So God, I pray for each and every individual here that they would be a good steward, that they would look at the resources that you have provided and say, God, what can I do to use these resources to best proclaim the name of Jesus to my neighbors and my coworkers? God, we know that, 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 that being in debt is not the thing that you wish for us, that you want us to walk in freedom. And God, that when we operate in debt, that we are slaves to money and we become slaves to the people we owe money too, so that we can walk in freedom, God. May we use our resources wisely. God, I believe that there are some here today maybe who need to begin with a simple decision to say, hey, 
Right now, I could operate with biblical principles of finances, but my life's a wreck, and Jesus is not number one. I have never made him Lord of my life. God, I pray that they would do that today. The Bible is very clear. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. And I'm here to tell you this, that our number one priority as a church is not just your financial well-being. That's not our number one priority. Our number one priority is that your spiritual well-being is secured and it is nailed down. Because Jesus died on the cross and he says, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sins. says that God is faithful and just to forgive us of any and all unrighteousness when we confess it to him. So where you're at, you can simply confess that to him. And so here's what I want to do with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we pray that you work in your ways, that God, we would go home and realize if it's 20% knowledge and 80% behavior, that we have to change some behaviors in our lives so that we can place ourselves in the position of blessing. God, this is not about becoming rich quick. This is not about becoming people who are going to be multimillionaires, whereas some may become millionaires and some may become people who have a couple thousand dollars. But God, we do know this, that when we are faithful, that you will always provide according to your riches and glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.